This is Storical, a monthly podcast and companion piece to Immortal Perfumes. In this series, we'll do a deep dive into the life and times of history and literature's most intriguing subjects, then discuss the best pieces of pop culture where you can get your historical fiction fix. I'm your host, JT Seams, the potions master at Immortal Perfumes. Join me on a journey through time and the ghosts of words past. This month's entry is about the tragic, macabre life of Edgar Allan Poe. Dear sisters, it's finally October, a power month, and the month where it's socially acceptable to finally bust out all the Halloween decor. I feel like October is the month where I've got to really bring it for you. If you missed Storical's Halloween Spectacular last year, there were four episodes dedicated to Harry Houdini, followed by a special on Erzabet Bathory, the Blood Countess. So if you're needing extra scaries, I've got them linked in the show notes. But this year, we're moving into primetime and talking about Edgar Allan Poe. I was first introduced to Mr. Poe when I was eight years old, and I read The Telltale Heart. I was resident goth child and moved on to the Raven and the cask of Amontillado and would proudly tell my teachers all about these tales of terror and madness. I wonder what they thought of my parents. Despite counting Mr. Poe as my forever literary hero, it turns out that I never really knew anything about his life other than he was an alcoholic who lived in abject poverty. It turns out there was quite a lot that I didn't know. Some of it really uncomfortable. Like, for example, did you know that Edgar Allan Poe used to smile? I did not know this. But the popular image we have of Poe mainly comes from negative depictions of him after his death by people who considered him an enemy. And just you wait, we'll talk all about that. If you're listening in real time, today is October 7th, the anniversary of Poe's death in 1849. Now imagine a bleak December where each separate dying ember illuminates the ghostly image of a haunted writer scribbling out tales of terror and forgotten lore. Chapter 1. Childhood Tragedy Edgar Poe, yes, I said Edgar Poe, no Alan yet, was born in Boston on January 19th, 1809. To kind of orient you a little bit as to where we are in history, Mary Shelley was a girl of 12 years, Poe's hero, Lord Byron, was 21 years old, And Charles Dickens, whom Poe was obsessed with, wouldn't be born for three more years. Little baby Edgar was born to two traveling actors named Eliza and David Poe. At the time of his birth, they were performing in a production of King Lear, and it's speculated that Edgar was named after one of Shakespeare's characters in the play. We often think of Edgar as this solitary figure, but he actually had an older brother and a younger sister. A year after Edgar's birth, David Poe abandoned the family, and a year after that, in 1811, Eliza Poe died of consumption. And you'll want to remember that detail, because it will come up again. After Eliza died, Edgar and his two siblings were separated. His older brother, Henry, was sent to live in Baltimore with their grandparents on the Poe side. And just a side note here, Edgar's grandfather, David Poe Sr., was an Irishman who immigrated to the colonies in 1750. He fought in the American Revolution and fronted the money for uniforms, to which the Marquis de Lafayette gave him the honorary title of general. Just a nice little rabbit hole for you there. So older brother Henry set to live with grandparents. Little Edgar and baby Rosalie were each sent to foster families in Richmond, Virginia. Edgar was sent to the Allen family, and from then on, he was known as Edgar Allen Poe. Fun little origin story there. Let's talk about the Allen family. 
John Allen and his wife, Frances, were well-to-do merchants in Richmond, Virginia. Here is a very strange list of all they traded in. Cloth, wheat, tombstones, tobacco, and slaves. Gotta have tombstones with your slaves and tobacco, I guess. Frances loved Edgar. She spoiled him rotten, and he excelled in school and was also considered very athletic and handsome. John Allen, however, was pretty emotionally abusive. He was hot and cold with Edgar and kept promising him that he would formally adopt him if he just did everything that John said. John Allen was originally from Scotland, and in 1815, the family, with Edgar in tow, moved to London, where they would remain for six years before heading back to Richmond. Here, I need to interject and just say that I personally love the idea of baby Edgar Allan Poe with a British accent. Throughout their childhoods, Poe and his older brother Henry kept in touch via letters, and at one point, Henry visited his younger brother. Henry, for his part, had a keen interest in writing and loved Lord Byron's poetry. As you can imagine, this had a huge impact on young Poe. Rosalie was kind of out of the picture. There's not a lot of historical information about her, but it is speculated that she might have had some sort of learning disability, and she spent her life as a governess. In 1824, at age 15, he developed a crush on a beautiful woman who was married and twice his age. Her name was Jane Stith Standard, and she died of consumption. This was around the time that Edgar's propensity for willful self-destruction and tormented creativity really started coming out, and it drove an even bigger wedge between him and his adoptive father. This all came to a head when Poe left the University of Virginia, the school Thomas Jefferson had founded only six years prior. He had run up huge gambling debts that John Allen refused to pay, and without the financial backing of his pseudo-foster father, he was unable to afford to stay at school. This was also when he started struggling with alcohol. Both his father and older brother had also been alcoholics. Chapter 2, Military Man. Deciding that he wanted to make a go of it as a writer, Poe went back to his native Boston and took up jobs working as a clerk at various newspapers. When that proved untenable, he listed in the Army and was stationed for a time in South Carolina. Remember that tidbit for the very end of the show. Somehow, Edgar Allan Poe managed to become a sergeant major in the Army. He published his first book of poems, Tamerlane and Other Poems, in 1827. Anonymously, he just called himself a Bostonian. There were only 50 copies printed, and just 12 are known to still exist. He was very mad that the poems received virtually no attention at the time. With his ambitions to be a writer, he decided that he wanted to end his five-year army commission early. He had enlisted at the age of 18 under the name Edgar A. Perry because at the time you needed parental consent if you were under 21. He thought if he just revealed this, they'd let him out. But his commander, very weirdly, told him that he had to reconcile with John Allen first if he really wanted to be discharged. I guess army commanders at the time were a bit like fairy godmothers. Anyway, John Allen, petty man that he was, refused to help Poe. He was so petty, in fact, that he didn't tell Poe that his foster mother, Frances, was dying of, you guessed it, consumption. Edgar happened to visit the day after her burial and was absolutely distraught. That is mother number two who has died from consumption. John Allen now agreed to get him out of the army, but wanted him to attend West Point. Seeing no alternative, Poe agreed. While at West Point, he would write these poems making fun of the officers and professors, and his classmates just found this hilarious. So Poe devised a scheme where each classmate would give him 75 cents to invest in a book of poems that he would publish. He ended up raising $170, which is not too shabby for the time. 
The classmates were disappointed that it was a serious book of poetry and not a joke book, however. To get out of being at West Point, he had the brilliant idea of getting himself court-martialed by not attending classes or doing any work and pleading not guilty to these charges. He had quite the dark sense of humor. So that pretty much put the nail on the coffin to any reconciliation with John Allen. Allen died a few years later and left Poe out of his will. Chapter 3, Tortured Artist. One character trait about Poe that I think is really important to his psychology is that he really thought of himself as this patrician Southern gentleman. He also wanted to be the first American writer to make a living solely on writing. And spoiler alert, he did. He just didn't get paid very much. He moved to Baltimore to stay with his older brother, Henry, who was living with his grandmother, his aunt Mariah Clem, and just a note, Mariah is spelled Maria, as well as his preteen cousin, Virginia Clem. Henry had been a sailor and had a hard drinking habit. The brothers were sharing a bed when Henry Poe died of consumption. Yes, consumption again in August of 1831. So if you're keeping count, that is now two mothers, one crush, and one brother who have all died from consumption by the time Poe was 22 years old. For all his problems, Poe was extremely ambitious and ready to hit the pavement to become a full-time writer. He secured a position at a highly regarded periodical called the Southern Literary Messenger back in Richmond, but within a few weeks, he was let go for literally drinking on the job. Poe went back to Baltimore and got permission to marry his 13-year-old cousin, Virginia. He was 26. With Virginia and his Aunt Mariah in tow, he promised that he would keep it together, and he got his job at the Messenger back. Let's get into his marriage to Virginia. In 1800s America, yes, people did marry their cousins, but the fact that she was 13 was unusual even for that time period, and he did get a lot of side-eye for this. We do not know what the deal was with this marriage. If he actually loved her as a wife, then yeah, that's super creepy and not okay. A lot of scholarship suggests, however, that his marriage to Virginia was more like that between a brother and a sister, and the reason he married her was to keep their small family together, as well as to protect her and her mother. They were poor relations to an otherwise well-off family that was pretty done paying their way. Another theory is that he married her to have his Aunt Mariah around because he needed her as a mother figure. It's a choose-your-own-adventure on what you believe in this regard, but there you have it. Once he was back at the Messenger, he did enjoy some stability there for two years and allegedly increased the readership from 700 to 3,500. This was probably most due to his work as a literary critic because, surprise, Edgar Allan Poe was also one of America's first critics, and he's also the one that kind of started that trend of being an absolute monster who rips people to shreds in his criticism. His favorite target was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he had this to say. We conclude our notes on the waif with the observation that, although full of beauties, it is infected with a moral taint. Or is there a mere freak of our own fancy? We shall be pleased if it be so. But there does appear in this exquisite little volume a very careful avoidance of all American poets who may be supposedly especially to interfere with the claims of Mr. Longfellow. These men Mr. Longfellow can continuously imitate, is that the word? Plagiarism. Longfellow and his admirers were outraged, but that was Poe's jam. He wasn't content enough with just publishing his stories, poems, and criticism in Richmond, however. He knew he had to take New York by storm. In 1837, he quit his job at the Messenger and moved the family to New York. The expedition wasn't fruitful. 
He was still able to secure newspaper and magazine writing jobs, but money was always tight. They moved on to Philadelphia, and his fame steadily grew with the publication of his book, Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque. But again, he was ambitious and wasn't about to give up his New York dreams. They moved back to New York in 1844, and The Raven was published to near-universal acclaim in January of 1845. The poem, probably his most well-known work, was a mega-hit and appeared in newspapers across the country. He was the darling of the literary scene overnight. However, still no financial rewards. He was, however, able to negotiate higher wages for himself moving forward. But at this time, his wife, Virginia, began to show the first signs of consumption. In 1845, he met a poet named Francis Osgood. He had been taking part in his favorite pastime, which was talking shit about Longfellow, and said, American poets sucked, but that Francis was pretty all right. She and Poe soon began exchanging letters as well as saucy poems, but scholars think their relationship was mostly platonic. There was another lady, though, who had a crush on Edgar and sent letters to Virginia, basically making up things about his relationship to Osgood. It's believed that the scandal of this, which drove them from New York City to Fordham, which is now the Bronx, exacerbated Virginia's fragile health. Virginia died at their cottage in 1847 at what is now Fordham University. She was only 24 years old and the fifth person in his life to die from consumption. Edgar's grief was so great that he couldn't write for months and people worried about his health and thought he'd kill himself. For the next two years, he was basically drunk all the time and bounced around from writing assignments and lectures with his Aunt Mariah. He asked at least two women to marry him during this time, including his childhood sweetheart, Sarah Elmira Royster. In 1849, Poe departed Richmond on a planned trip to Philadelphia and New York. For reasons unknown, he made a stop in Baltimore where he disappeared for several days before he was found disoriented and raving and wearing someone else's clothes outside of a bar that was being used as a polling place for an election. That was a mouthful. He died in the hospital and to this day, no one knows what happened to him in the days leading up to his death or the cause of his death. Edgar Allan Poe was just 40 years old. Somehow, a man named Rufus Griswold, a writer that Poe had once savagely critiqued, became the executor of Poe's estate. On the day Poe was buried, he published an anonymous obituary that was basically a hit piece and wrote the first biography on Poe that made up a lot of horrible rumors about the writer and is the person that gave us a very reductive look at him as this madman drunkard. He did abuse alcohol, but he also had kind of a lot of horrible things happen to him. Griswold also swindled Mariah Clem into selling off the rights to his works, leaving her with nothing. But fairy godmother Charles Dickens provided a large sum of money for Mariah upon his return to America in 1868. Chapter 4. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. October is basically synonymous with Edgar Allan Poe, as he's pretty universally acknowledged as the master of horror. So if you feel you didn't get enough on Mr. Poe today, do not worry, because I will have episodes every week this month with more details on the writer's life, including more about his weird relationship with Charles Dickens. For now, let's talk recommendations. In terms of further podcast listening, there's shockingly not that many podcasts that do bios of his life. The ones out there mostly focus on reading his stories and poems, 
which, hey, that's a great idea for some free spooky listening this month. Probably the best podcast I listened to on Poe was a Bowery Boys episode called Edgar Allan Poe in New York. They gave an overview of his life and talked specifically about the historical places he lived in New York. If you're at all familiar with the city or with New York history, you will love this episode. It's so good. They're also one of my favorite podcasts. If you want a literary analysis of Poe's work, specifically his whole theme of beautiful women dying in their prime, BBC World Service did an episode called Edgar Allan Poe, Master of Horror. This is a roundtable discussion with academics who talk about Poe from a historical and literary perspective. Next, I found this spooky fun ghost podcast called Fabled Collective, and the episode Haunted Charleston, Edgar Allan Poe's Secret Love, talks about a cemetery tour in Charleston that you can take where the ghost of a woman purported to be a lover of Poe during his stint in the military haunts the grounds. Moving along into fiction, so in Seattle, where I live, I randomly went to a musical about Edgar Allan Poe called The Hours of Life, and this was back in 2014. It was really good, but very weird to see someone who looked like Edgar Allan Poe singing. I don't even know how I found out about it. These are just the types of events that somehow find me. They had said they were adapting it for an off-Broadway theater, but I don't know that anything ever happened with it. However, there is another play called Nevermore that actually was on Broadway and still travels around. So maybe one day post-pandemic, we can all go to the theater again and see it. In terms of movies, if you have not seen the 2012 John Cusack masterpiece, The Raven, I don't know what you've been doing with your life. I saw that movie opening night in the theater when I lived in San Francisco, and it still ranks as one of the greatest days of my life. The movie is totally ridiculous in only the way that bad movies that are fun to watch can be. There is a line where John Cusack shouts, it's Poe, not poor. And I cackled in the theater and I still quote that to this day. The movie has Edgar Allan Poe playing a detective, which Poe is credited as inventing the detective story, so it fits. It's a perfect October movie, so seriously watch it. It's like if the movie Seven were Edgar Allan Poe themed because the killer kills people using Poe's methods from his stories. One thing I'll give the movie, it had Poe being super arrogant and full of his own genius. And now that I've actually researched him, it checks out. In terms of fiction, there's a lot of books out there where Poe is a detective. But honestly, I think you're better off just reading his work. I did find one historical fiction told from Virginia's point of view called The Raven's Bride, and it's super melodramatic, but very interesting to see Poe from her eyes. Just a completely different take. If you like more of a romancy twist, check that out. Dearest listeners, that's all for this week. Pour one out or light a candle for Mr. Poe who died on this day in 1849. Like I said, every Monday this month, I'll have a new episode on Poe. We'll dive into the mystery of how he died and talk about the inspiration for some of his stories. But next week, Join me back here for a rebroadcast of my personal favorite episode of Storical about Grip the Raven. <laughs>